Father, thank you for your word. Uh, your word is truth. Uh, we need it. I'm so uh, I'm glad and I'm just reminded of Cody's message this morning and this evening about making sure that we have uh, time to reflect and prepare room for you to come this Christmas. Uh, you are the reason for the season and we don't want to uh, let it run over us. We want to uh, open our hearts and prepare room so that you would come in and uh, be with us. Uh, we love you and we thank you and pray your spirit would lead us and guide us and teach us tonight, please. And we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, tonight we're going to talk about some psalms that uh, some of them probably... A couple of them have that as the superscription, so we're fairly certain that it happened during the time of Absalom. Some of them are, are speculation, and one of them is a time when David was really sick, which probably has nothing to do with Absalom, but it's uh, a point I want to make, and so that's why we're going to talk about that one. So we're still in 2 Samuel, talking about the monarchy. We're almost done with 2 Samuel. We'll move into Kings uh, right after the first of the year. And so some of the Psalms during 2 Samuel 15 through 19, when Absalom is in the gates, and then he takes over the kingdom, David and the, um, um, those who are loyal and faithful to David, left town. Uh, Absalom is taken care of by Joab, and David comes back in, and everyone is happy to see him. But another uh, really, really difficult episode in David's life. And so we looked at last week when David was squeezed by the powerful hand, in a metaphorical sense, of agonizing circumstances, what was released and revealed from David was the heart of God. So last week, David was the sponge that was being squeezed. And so, of course, that made me think... How do we pray in times of pain or agony? And I hope that's not true for any of you tonight. And you can just take this and you can fold it up and put it away for some time, hopefully never, but sometime probably in the future. How do we pray in times of pain or agony? How do we pray when God seems distant? How do we pray when the bottom seems to have dropped out? You've probably never encountered any of these things in your life uh, and in the eventuality that you do, uh, maybe you'll be reminded of these psalms in the future. And David's story reminds us that we can pray as David prayed. And so I want us to look at praying in the midst of pain. The psalms material, the psalms outlines, are from uh, Dr. Ross from the Old Testament Bible Knowledge Commentary. And some of you from time to time ask me... Um, what would I, give, what would I uh, suggest starting out for a commentary series? And I would suggest the Old Testament and New Testament Bible Knowledge Commentary. It's a two-volume. These days it's, uh, there might even be a copy in the bookstore, but it's probably, what, 40 bucks or 50 bucks for two of them? You can get them on your e-reader. So if you're looking for, uh, to start building your library, this is a great 
commentary series, you'll have no problem understanding. It's got enough depth that you'll go, oh, I didn't know that. But it's also got enough application, you'll say, oh, that was interesting. Uh, so this is a Old Testament and New Testament Bible knowledge commentary are great places to start if you're building a library of commentaries. Anyway, I've taken the outlines for the Psalms from Dr. Ross. So praying in the midst of pain. Psalm 3. So if you have your Bible, Psalm 3, you can see in the superscription, uh, in my Bible, those, that's the little italics above where the psalm starts. Oh, by the way, when we get to the book of the Revelation, and I've reminded you before, it's not revelations, and if I hear you saying that, I will come to your house and we will have a conversation. Uh, Psalms is plural. It is not Psalms 3. It is Psalm 3. Okay? Glad I got that off my chest. I keep seeing signs around town. Read Psalms 1. I'm like... What is, it's like reading Cities Fort Worth. What you go, you have a plural, okay, let it go, thank you, thank you. I'm being squeezed and what's coming out is not the heart of the Lord, it's the heart of Bill is what's coming out. The superscription says, a psalm of David regarding the time David fled from his son Absalom. Listen to what David writes. Oh, Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying God will never rescue him. And the interlude there is Selah. So that's where we are to stop and think about it. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Stop and think about it. I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety, for the Lord was watching over me. I am not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God, slap all my enemies in the face, Shatter the teeth of the wicked. Victory comes from you, O Lord. May you bless your people. Psalm 3 tells us it was written at the time that David fled from Absalom. I can't prove this, but when he says, I lay down and slept, I wonder if it isn't the first night that they're out. The very first night, it's been a whirlwind of a day. David has to hit the road. They're trying to make as many tracks as they can to get as far away as they can. And can you, can you imagine before David fell asleep that night in the outline, he's just stating facts. I'm surrounded by enemies. Then verses three, three through six, but I'm sustained by God. In verses 7 through 8, I'm going to be saved by God. I'm going to be delivered from this by God. 
lesson. Those who are in the midst of danger should trust the Lord for protection, enabling them to rest in sleep. When you've had one of those whirlwind days, weeks, months, maybe more, what is the thing sometimes most difficult to come by? Sleep. What was David's? I can't prove it, but I think it was. What was his first response in a situation like that? He sat down and wrote a psalm, reaffirming, Lord, I'm surrounded by enemies. You see it. You've sustained me before. And these little pauses, right, one and two, and then three and four and five and six, where he just, he writes it down, but then he pauses. He says, Lord, I'm surrounded by my enemies. And I don't know what, he, what else he thinks about when he's surrounded by his enemies. But then he goes on to say, though that's the case, I am sustained by God. And I will be saved by God. And verse 5 says, I lay down and slept. Now, what could have happened? Absalom could have caught up with him and done some whacking. But what does David do? He says, I lay down and slept. Dangerous. Yet I woke up in safety. Why? For the Lord was watching over me. That gave him confidence for the next day. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. I'm going to sleep tonight because my life and my future and everything is in God's hands. So I'm going to sleep. That's some trust. Psalm 3, perhaps the evening song, poem, of the first day David fled Jerusalem from Absalom. Showing us what David did and reminding us that we should trust the Lord for protection. And that as we trust him and remind ourselves of who he is, he will enable us to rest in sleep. Great psalm. Psalm 4. It's next door neighbor. Uh, it says, for the choir director, a psalm of David to be accompanied by stringed instruments. It doesn't say that it is necessarily have anything to do with Absalom. But many of us believe this is, uh, in fact, I think this is the psalm he wrote the next morning. He says, answer me when I call to you, O God, who declares me innocent. Free me from my troubles. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make groundless accusations? How long will you continue your lies? You can be sure of this. The Lord set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will answer when I call to him. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight. 
and remain silent. Offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord. Many people say, who will show us better times? Let your face smile on us, Lord. You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. In peace I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. Can't prove it. But if this is the poem, if this is the song he wrote, that, so he goes to sleep that night, wakes up the next morning, writes another psalm, another song. Is this amazing? How, have his circumstances changed? Nope. What does he say? Many people say, so it's possible there were people in his party who are saying, who's going to show us better times? When is the Lord going to smile on us again? What are they looking to? A change of circumstances. What is David looking to? God. He says, you have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and new wine. That's pretty joyful. In peace, I will lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. His circumstances haven't changed. What's changed? David. David has changed. His attitude has changed. He's not looking for his circumstances to change. He can have joy in the midst of these trying, troubling circumstances. outline of this psalm, he calls out to God, he warns the enemies, and then he reminds himself as well as others that he has a joyous peace in God. Lesson, true joy and peace don't depend on circumstances, but on God's faithful protection and provision. Trust him. Hardest thing to do when you're in trying circumstances, is to trust God. What does David say? My circumstances haven't changed, but I've got more joy than the people who have new har- uh, have abundant harvests, new wine, great bounty. What am I doing? I'm eating rocks and stuff. I'm eating dust. But his joy is great because he knows his God. You ever tried writing a psalm? It's not going to be in the Bible. <laughs> but have you ever tried writing one? A poem? Whatever you want to call this? Might be something for you to try. Some of you who really are good at writing. Psalm 6. Now this probably was not during the time of Absalom, but it's going to make a point because we're talking about how do we pray when we're in pain or how do we pray uh, when we're, uh, circumstances have really turned against us. And in Psalm 6, um, David seems to be suffering from um, perhaps an illness that is leading him virtually to death. 
He says, O Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. Have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. I am sick at heart. How long, O Lord, until you restore me? Return, O Lord, and rescue me. Save me because of how good a guy I am. Oh, no, that's not what he says. (laughs) Save me because of your unfailing love. For the dead do not remember you. Who can praise you from the grave? I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. Go away, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will answer my prayer. May all my enemies be disgraced and terrified. May they suddenly turn back in shame. David has... uh, He's writing this during a time when he's suffering from an almost fatal, it seems, disease. The outline of the psalm goes like this. He prays for relief from suffering. He prays for deliverance. He laments his illness. And then he seems to have received an assurance of restoration. What's the lesson for us? This is a time when David is desperately, desperately sick. In the midst of agony and suffering, God hears weeping hearts and answers. In the midst of agony and suffering, God hears weeping hearts and answers. How do we pray? when we're in agony or pain or perhaps facing the end of our life, we pray like David prayed, confident that God hears our weeping heart and answers. And for Christians, you know, some might say, well, the Lord didn't answer my prayer because my loved one went on before me. Well, your loved one was healed, just not on this side. But your loved one that you were praying would be healed was absolutely and is absolutely perfectly 100% healed. And you will see them again, completely whole, fully functional, fully healed. God did heal them. They're just waiting for you. Psalm 6. Psalm 41, Um, this is probably, uh, this is one of two, 41 and 55, Psalms 41 and 55 seem to be David is um, reflecting on or lamenting uh, Ahithophel's betrayal. So remember, Absalom is chasing everybody, right? The fear of Absalom is chasing everyone out of town. Ahithophel, Bathsheba's grandfather, 
decides to turn sides, he flips sides, and he stays with Absalom. Remember that from last week? Even if you don't remember it, do like this with your head. It just makes me feel better. Okay? Ahithophel stays. Remember, David sends in his guy to frustrate the counsel of Ahithophel. Remember, Ahithophel hears that they took his counsel, he heads home and hangs himself. So Ahithophel was a very close friend and close confidant of David. And so down in verse 9, he says, Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. He seems to be writing about a time when someone very close to him betrayed him. One of the places that fits well is with Ahithophel. He says, oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor. The Lord rescues them when they are in trouble. The Lord protects them and keeps them alive. He, keeps, he gives them prosperity in the land and rescues them from their enemies. The Lord nurses them when they are sick and restores them to health. Oh, Lord, I prayed, have mercy on me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. But my enemies say nothing but evil about me. How soon will he die and be forgotten, they ask. They visit me as if they were my friends, but all the while they gather gossip. When they leave, they spread it everywhere. All who hate me whisper about me, imagining the worst. He has some fatal disease, they say. He will never get out of that bed. Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food, has turned against me. Lord, have mercy on me. Make me well again so I can pay them back. I know you are pleased with me, for you have not let my enemies triumph over me. You have preserved my life because I am innocent. You have brought me into your presence forever. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. It's written after an event of betrayal and treachery, probably Ahithophel's. And David is writing a song, a psalm, reminding everyone that the merciful obtain mercy. Did that show up later on in that little uh, Absalom story? Remember David's mercy? Yes. Say yes. Yes. Vengeance for treachery. Absalom got his, and deliverance for those with integrity, those who were loyal to David, he not only delivered, but he rewarded. There was deliverance for those with integrity. The lesson, those who aid the needy in their time of distress will themselves receive deliverance. On the other hand, those who take advantage of the weak are ripe for vengeance. We need to aid the, aid the needy in their time of distress. And the Lord will deliver us because that is his heart. Psalm 55 just flip a few more pages over. Uh, 
um, in 12 and 13, he says, it's not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It's not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. And then he goes on talking about some other things. So Psalm 55 also seems to be written in light of Ahithophel's betrayal and treachery. Might not be, but likely. Talks about that time in David's life also. In the first eight verses, he talks about the terrifying oppression he's under. 9 through 15, he describes his painful betrayal and then his personal confidence in the Lord to turn everything back around in his direction. What's the lesson? Those who've been betrayed should call confidently on their redeeming God so they're enabled by him to see it through. Calling on God, does he not see? Yes, he sees. Will he not act in his own good time? He will act in his own good time. David, if you say, gosh, David, if David can be betrayed, none of us are immune, right? My favorite guy, Charles Spurgeon, is said to have told his congregation one time, how mistaken you are if you think as a Christian you will be escorted to heaven lying in a bed of roses. <laughs> that's, that's not the game. <laughs> Those who have been betrayed should call confidently on their redeeming God so they're enabled by him to see it through. Psalm 61, 61, 62, and 63 seem to go together. Sixty-one, uh, David is either on the run from Saul when he writes this, or Absalom. Those are the two, the two leading candidates. Could be Saul, could be Absalom. Either way, the lesson is going to be the same. David says this in Psalm 61. Oh God, listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth I cry to you for help when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the towering rock of safety, for you are my safe refuge. A fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. Let me live forever in your sanctuary, safe beneath the shelter of your wings. Think about it. For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me an inheritance reserved for those who fear your name. Huh, look at that. That's one of those 300 times Cody was talking about today. 300 times, fear the Lord is spoken of in, in a positive way. An inheritance reserved for those who fear your name. Hmm. 
Add many years to the life of the king. May his years span the generations. May he reign under God's protection forever. May your unfailing love and faithfulness watch over him. Then I will sing praises to your name forever as I fulfill my vows each day. It's written in a time of David's narrow escape in the wilderness, either from Saul or Absalom. The outline of the psalm, David says, lead me to the rock. And he says, I long to dwell in your tent, in the middle verses. Verse 8, then I will sing your praises. Lead me to the rock, lead me to that fortress, lead me to that place where I'm safe from my enemies. In fact, I long to dwell there with you. Why would he be saying that? Because that's not where he is right now. He is not able to get to the Lord's tent because he's on the run. Then I will sing your praises. Lesson. Those faint and weary from being on the run can find assurance in the strength of the rock and be encouraged by his word. Psalm 62, 61, 62, and 63 seem to kind of go together. So 62, uh, David says, I wait quietly before God for my victory. Do you like that first part? I wait. How about that part? I wait. What's that other word? Quietly. I don't like either of those words very much. I wait quietly before God, for my victory comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. So many enemies against one man, all of them trying to kill me. To them, I'm just a broken down wall or a tottering fence, which makes us think that this is written at a time when he's a little more advanced in years rather than when he was running from Absalom. They plan to topple me from my high position. They delight in telling lies about me. They praise me to my face but curse me in their hearts. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. O my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Common people are as worthless as a puff of wind, and the powerful are not what they appear to be. If you weigh them on the scales, together they are lighter than a breath of air. Don't make your living by extortion or put your hope in stealing. And if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. God has spoken plainly, and I have heard it many times. Power, O God, belongs to you. Unfailing love, O Lord, is yours. Surely you repay all people according to what they have done. Again, written when David is waiting on God's deliverance, either from Saul, I think from Absalom, 
The outline, rest in God when enemies assault. Trust in God at all times, and God will reward each person according to what he knows they've done. Lesson, find rest in your all-powerful God rather than in human schemes or plans, and wait on him in trust. Is that easy? Is that easy in good times? How hard is that in hard times? Find rest in your all-powerful God rather than in human schemes or plans and wait on him in trust. Psalm 63 seems like the end of this little trilogy. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. How's David feeling right now? Is God close to him or distant? How's David feeling? God is distant. I earnestly search for you. You don't earnestly search for someone who's sitting right next to you. So this is David's feelings. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. But those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become the food of jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who trust in him will praise him, while liars will be silenced." Seems to be a time when David was separated from the ark. Again, could be when he's on the run from Saul or could be, remember he sent the ark back. It's possible that it was uh, when he's running from Absalom also. The outline of the psalm, thirsting for God, satisfying the soul with praise, verses 3 through 8, and then rejoicing in the victory. Lesson. Even in the midst of distress, satisfy the longing of your soul through worship by praising God for his loyal love. So many times we think worship equals music or worship equals church. Even in the midst of distress, satisfy the longing of your soul through worship by praising God for his loyal love. What does that take? Only you. (laughs) Right? Only you. You don't have to have a choir or an orchestra, although those are really nice. You don't have to have that. You are sufficient. Satisfy the longing of your soul through worship 
by praising God for his loyal love. Some great psalms, great psalms for times when we're hurting, maybe we're in agony, maybe we're ill, maybe God seems distant, that agonizing hand of circumstances is squeezing us like a sponge, and we think it squeezed everything out of us. Some great psalms to remind ourselves of in times like those, whether it's for us or someone we know. When you're, someone says, would you, you know, come to the hospital and pray for me? Could you use any of these? Answer, yes. <laughs> yes, you could. Let's do a quick faith review. Psalm 3, trust in God's protection and sleep. Psalm 4, you're safe in his protective care. There's a point in um, Jeremiah, I just read it a few, uh, uh, sure, it's probably a month ago. Anyway, just reminded of it. Jeremiah, uh, God is talking to Jeremiah and he says, God says to Jeremiah, I'm paraphrasing, he says, the people haven't thanked me for peace, for protection, for my unfailing love, and for my great mercy. Those four great things, I mean, when you put your head down on the pillow at night and you go to sleep, do you take the peace, I know I do, do you take the peace God gives you that night for granted? He says, I, I'm the one who's made it peaceful for you through my protection, which we've seen in these Psalms. I've given you peace to sleep, and I'm protecting you tonight. And he tells Jeremiah, my people are not thanking me for peace, for protection, for my unfailing love, and for my great mercy. Four great things to be reminded. God is the source of all of our blessings. You say, well, what about, you know, I've, I've learned these things. and Has he not given you your mind? Has he not given you the skill of your hands? There is nothing you are or nothing you have or nothing you do that has not been sourced in God. Right? Those are great things to thank God for. When you say, now wait, you made me like this. <laughs> I know you've never done that. You know, you made me like this. That, that shouldn't be an angry thing at God. We should say, thanks for making me like this. You made me with that weakness so that I would be dependent on you. Psalm 4, you are safe in his protective care. Psalm 6, be encouraged, he hears and answers weeping hearts. Psalm 41, integrity seeks mercy, not revenge. Who holds revenge? Revenge is mine, Romans chapter 12. 
Revenge is mine, says the Lord. If God does not bring justice, then he is not God. But sometimes that justice will not be meted out until the other side. But make sure you understand. Those wrongs done against you that have never been taken care of or reconciled, they will be taken care of. They will be reconciled. As well as the wrongs you've done. Cuts both ways. <laughs> Which is why Billy Graham said, I do not pray for justice. I pray for mercy. <laughs> and I think, great prayer, Billy. <laughs> great prayer. Integrity seeks mercy, not revenge. Psalm 55, lean your full weight on God. You ever catch yourself not doing that? Maybe you're standing on one foot. And you're saying, well, I know the Lord is there. If I tip over, he'll catch me. Wait a minute. <laughs> lean your whole weight into him. All the time, he's strong. He can take it. In fact, he wants it. We're taught our whole lives, particularly in this country, and I know I've said this before, to be independent and self-reliant. And those things are not really walking in step with being a Christ follower. I'm not supposed to be independent. I'm supposed to be dependent. I'm not supposed to be self-reliant. I'm supposed to lean my whole weight on the Lord. And walk, and it's like, I can't take one step without you. If you choose to stop giving me breath, it will happen in my next breath. The fact that I can breathe. Thank you, Lord. My lungs are still working today. Because tomorrow, you could turn them off. We just, we forget. In our scientific age, we forget God is the source of all life and all blessing. Lean your full weight on him. Psalm 61. Seek his strength and encouragement. What happens if you run out of strength? And you start to get discouraged. Is God also discouraged? Is God lacking strength? Bill, oh my gosh, how much more do you need? I can't, I can't take it. Stand on your own two feet, doggone it. How long have you been walking with me, Bill? And you go, ha, huh, that's kind of funny. That's what we do. That's how we think. Seek his strength and his encouragement. Psalm 62, wait securely for his deliverance. What's that word? Securely? Can you trust God for your deliverance? If you can, then you can wait securely. Why? Because he's not going to let you fall. 63. Worship him to nourish your soul. Worship him. How many nights have I lain, lain, laid awake rehearsing something bad or wrong? And I look at it from every angle and I 
go back over it and this and this and this and this. What's happening to my soul that whole time? Well, let's just say, is, it, is the temperature of my soul rising or is it going down? It's going down. What do I need to be doing instead? Worshiping. Worshiping. I need to be worshiping and trusting that God knows what he's doing and he will make it happen. A few more summary observations. Believers can confidently approach God expecting that he will hear and answer. Do you believe this? Believers must trust God and his word despite circumstances, feelings, or past experiences. Believers need communion with God through prayer to renew and nourish their souls. Here's one. Believers must linger with the Lord until they've heard from him. can't tell you how many times, even if I'm on my knees. Lord, do you see I'm on my knees? I'm praying. And as soon as I'm finished talking, what do I do? In Jesus' name, amen. And I stand up and I check the box. I know I'm not describing anything you do, but this is what I do. Check the box. Wait a minute. If I talk to Laurie that way, you know, and then I stand up and I go, Good, we're done talking. And I turn around and walk out of the room. Is it, does that seem kind of weird? Yes. <laughs> Men, yes, that's weird. That's not a good thing to do. <laughs> Ladies already know this. <laughs> when we pray, what are you talking to? You're talking to that little guy, you know, that little robot guy behind the window? You know, you put a nickel in and... Who are you talking to? Do you expect to hear from him? He usually will speak through his word. He may have you turn somewhere. He may remind you of a verse you've remembered or forgotten. Bing, hey, Jeremiah. Oh, what? (laughs) He may remind you of a truth from his word. Do you expect to hear from him? If you don't, why are we praying? Believers must linger with... Remember when David said, I know you've heard me. Do we expect to hear from God? I'm not suggesting an audible voice comes from heaven. I'm not suggesting, although I would love it, a golden telegram comes in your mailbox but you know when God speaks to you, particularly in his word. Linger with the Lord until you've heard from him on a particular topic or issue. He may not answer you right away. I think some of the sea laws, some of those little um, interludes, could be days or weeks or months, and David goes back and finishes the psalm. I don't know that, but I think that. He gets to a place 
And then God answers, and he comes back and he finishes off the psalm. And that's why there's an interlude there. Just wait for it. Just think about it. Wait for it. Okay. And then he knows how to finish it. Can't prove it. Complete speculation. Could be heresy. If it is, throw me under the bus. But I kind of think that. Linger with the Lord until you've heard from him. For next time, read 2 Samuel 20 through 23. And then the week after that, we'll read 2 Samuel 24. So if you want to read 20 through 24, we're going to do that in two over two lessons. Because there's two different points I want to emphasize in those last four chapters. So read 20 through 23 for January 12th. January 12th. 2 Samuel 20 through 23, and then the 19th we'll do 2 Samuel 24. All right, let me pray for us, and we'll be on our way for a wonderful Christmas. Father, thank you for the way that your word and your person, uh, your messages from our pulpit, from our men's and women's and adult education all remind us to make room for you uh, this Christmas season. I pray that the doors of our hearts would be wide open, inviting you in, asking you to come in, and that we would be able to take some time and just sit with you and talk and listen to what you might want to say. We love you. We are so grateful to be in your family. We need no gifts because you, Lord Jesus, are our best and greatest gift. We are satisfied with you. Would you remind us what a wonderful, unbelievable uh, treasure, present gift you are. And thank you, Father, for so loving the world that you would give your best in your Son, for us, that we could be with you forever. Thank you for your great gift. We love you. We love the Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we love you too. We're grateful for your work in our lives. I pray this would be the best Christmas and New Year's we've all had. And would we uh, be reminded of this uh, come January 2nd. We thank you and pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.